With nearly 40 million cars on the road, the UK motoring industry is worth around £80 billion a year. However, that is only a fraction of the global market, which stretches into the trillions. Indeed, between automotive manufacturing, sales and everything in between, you are looking at the world's largest industry. However, the car industry did not make it through 2020 unscathed, especially in the UK. With showrooms shut and cars off the road, the market saw its worst performance since 1992. We are also watching an evolution before our eyes as more and more emphasis is being placed on greener methods of transport. The electric car is looking likely to replace petrol and diesel in the next few decades and companies that don't adapt could be left behind. Today we'll be speaking to Jill Noel from EVA England about the electric future of the UK as well as having a wider discussion of the motoring market. From the Investors Chronicle, I'm Megan Boxall. And I'm John Human. Welcome to Not Your Normal Finance Show. So producer John has told us that we're basically top gear for the next few minutes and we need to talk about any horror stories from first cars or whether we're particular car enthusiasts. Um, I watched about 10 episodes of Top Gear for the first time ever. The More preparation day. for the podcast. No, just because I couldn't be bothered to get off the sofa or even change the channel. It was, <laughs> I had a week off and uh, it was the, the most energy I could muster uh, to, to, to watch Top Gear. It's all right, actually. Didn't mind it so much. Yeah, Paddy McGuinness and Freddie Flintoff were great at it. Oh, no, it was a really old one. Oh. Really <laughs> um, but I'm not a car enthusiast. I don't dislike cars. Um, I prefer the classic cars. Um, I do like going to the old car show. Um, the odd uh, concours, like very, very posh classic car shows. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not a car man. I I have a car. It's okay. Uh, it's nothing to shout about. My first cars were absolutely horrific. What about you? Yeah, my first car was a Fiat Panda, and I, I, I really hated it at the time. But looking back on it, it was great. It got Colour. me. What color was it? It was red. Um, it was yeah. It was lovely. It. It didn't smell great because one time I spilt milk in the back of the car and it didn't have any air conditioning or anything like that. So it got very hot and very smelly on in the summer. But it was a good, good first car. And there were no disaster stories in it. Well, that's good because apparently red cars crash more. Um, I had a yellow car, which I crashed after a month. That was my first car. And then, then I got a brown one. <laughs> <laughs> a box all over, if you remember them. Absolutely dreadful. Um, yeah, car, cars are, I mean, you know, I, I guess that they are a must-have for a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I think when we talk about cars and, and we're in the city, you know, most people who live here don't all have the need for them. But but actually, you know, go outside of London and, and, and getting to work, you need a car. Yeah. So so it is an important industry. It's not just a luxury for a lot of people. This, this is something that people need. But one area which I do think... I'm starting to notice it more now, maybe because maybe because I've recently hit an age where people have started making enough money that they've decided that they can buy a car on finance. And a lot of my friends now are buying cars that I think, how on earth have you afforded that? What what job are you doing that allows you to buy a Mercedes at the age of 26, 27, 28? Like, what can you possibly be doing? But it's because they're buying cars on finance. PCPs. I have such a problem with people, not with people buying cars, with just the concept of buying cars on finance. I just think, why are you doing this to yourself? Um, I love cars, but I wouldn't buy a car on finance, even if I was trying to get my 
dream Audi or whatever it is, I would wait until I've got enough money for that. Is that your dream car? <laughs> I really, really like the. Uh, I really like the the Audi in the Avengers, the electric one that Iron Man drives. Okay, it's really cool. All right, and, um... it is an e-tron GT. It's very cool. Indeed. Well, as, as if Iron Man would drive anything that wasn't cool. Um, no, so, so, I mean, finance, finance it, it, it is an interesting one. I mean, I bought a car last year, uh, went, went to a number of garages. Some of them were, were very keen to offer me finance. Um, it seemed to me to be the only way they wanted to sell me that car. You know, it, it seems to be gone at the days where you walk in with your, your, you know, your bundle of cash and get a discount for paying cash. You, you know, it, it really was, was all about the finance. Um, I don't think anyone does that. Anymore. Well, I tried it. <laughs> I tried it, and uh, the final garage, uh, the independent Mazda dealer out in uh, out in Braintree, actually said, "Yeah, we'll give you this guy." But but PCP seems to be what a lot of dealers were mm. really intent on selling. Um, and, and and you know, what I asked them, said, "Can you illustrate to me how much that would cost me? You know, to buy this this you know whatever fifteen sixteen grand Golf? How much how much would that cost me?" You know, over the co- if I want the car to buy outright at the end of the PCP, and it was just so much money. Yeah, so much more. But what people are doing is you buy for three years, new car, new car, new car. Yeah. So they never really see how much they're paying. No, no. But yeah, I, I just find the whole concept quite bizarre. And also, I mean, this another reason apart from the financial side of things why I wouldn't necessarily get an Audi e-tron e-tron right now. Is, and why buying cars on finance is a risky thing to do. You have an accident in it, suddenly costing you quite a lot more. And that's not ideal. Yeah, I think you when, have to buy, I think when you, have to buy you leave extra... handbrakes off the car on the, on the odd occasion. Who would have to do such a thing? <laughs> um, I, I think um, you have to buy extra insurance yeah. uh, to, to cover the potential shortfall if you have a car stolen or written off that's on PCP. My brother had a problem with that. His car was stolen. And and I had to, and I had to find the difference. It's it, it, um, I don't like the model. I agree. My, my worry about cars uh, today, as well, is is you know the, the kind of we are at a point where where cars could become obsolete very quickly. Mm. Um, you know the market is moving very quickly. You know from having hardly any electric vehicle choice. You know we've now got. So producer John's given us the figures. You know there are a hundred electric car models available in the UK today. One in ten new registrations for plug-in hybrids. Um, you know, I, 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 it's shifting quickly. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't buy a diesel. Yeah, I don't think you know, people can give diesels away these days. A um, diesel car. Yeah. Running beautifully. I'm sure it is, but but try and sell it in a few years' time. <laughs> <laughs> you might, be, might have to sell it to the dealer. Um, so, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it is a very, very rapidly changing market. Yeah, yeah, it is. And last year, it changed for other reasons. Um Reasons, firstly, that people just, they weren't on the roads, that people weren't needing to drive to work, drive anywhere, especially in the first part of last year, so they weren't thinking about their cars. And secondly, because showrooms weren't open, so people weren't able to go and see their potential new cars, test drive their new cars. So it was a particularly bad year for motoring in the UK. 1.63 million registrations for new cars in 2020, which was 700,000 less than 2019 drop of nearly 30%. Uh, £20 billion loss from 2019 to 2020. So it's it's tough. It's been tough for 
companies at all stages of that industry, whether they are the manufacturers, which also had to contend with travel restrictions, or the companies which run the showrooms, there's a few listed ones in the UK, and the the companies that provide the insurance, the companies like Halfords, which provide the services on the road. I live opposite a tire shop, uh, which was open the whole the whole throughout throughout lockdown. There was no one there, and they were just sitting there twiddling their thumbs every day, getting really frustrated that colleagues in other parts of the retail industry had been furloughed and there was no furlough for people who work in the tyre shop because they were deemed essential workers, even though no cars on the road. Tyres are pretty essential, though. If someone did happen to need tyres, who was on the road... Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't yeah, I mean, agree essential. with his argument that <laughs> some of them should... But, I mean, maybe some of them could have been furloughed. They definitely didn't need the whole team because they were receiving one car a week, especially yeah. in... April, May sort of time. It's been a very tough time for the industry uh, as a whole. I mean, we you know we saw numbers from Halfords a little while back. They've, they've obviously benefited uh, from the cycling boom, um, but but the car business has really really suffered. Yeah, uh, yeah, really through auto centres. And you know, they, they, I mean, as part of the government's response to COVID, I think things like MOTs were you know were all extended. Um, so so you know that all of that, a lot of that business that is you know regular, repeat, unavoidable, was pushed out again. So you know, doubly tough. Yeah, but a good year for electric vehicles, as we said, 100 electric car models available in the UK now. There are some nice ones as well. I uh, I, I was a bit sceptical about ever liking electric vehicles to look at, um, but some of them are really cool. Some of them are really, really nice. Yeah, I, I spoke to Phil about this recently, actually. I've not been a fan of some of the stylings of, of the Teslas in particular. But yeah, you're right. There's uh, some really nice ones advertised. And a lot from sort of major manufacturers as well. Mm. And uh, and at the luxury end of the market, you know, one of the one of the big manufacturers that's going all electric very soon, um, one of the big luxury manufacturers. It's it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. Yeah, the shift is yeah, it's definitely happening. But if the shift is going to happen, then there needs to be a change in the infrastructure as well because we can't suddenly have all these electric vehicles on the roads because we don't have the charging stations at all at the moment. And we, the batteries in these cars, they don't allow for long-distance travel. I mean, you drive from London, London to Cornwall, you're probably going to need to refuel your electric vehicle somewhere along the way. And that means at the moment you have to stop for... 45 minutes if you have a Tesla or several hours if you have one of the older Toyotas or one of the one of the first generation electric vehicles. So, I, I think that's why people have sort of stuck with plug-in hybrids um, more, more than kind of pure electric mm. uh, until now um, because of that battery range. Yeah. Um, but, you know, most people, a lot of people don't have anywhere to park their car and charge well, yeah. it. A lot of people, you know, don't don't actually, um, you know, have front gardens. I mean, it's, it's it, what, what what do you do? It's uh, it, it's really quite tricky. We, we saw actually recently that Shell had uh, made a big purchase in the uh, the vehicle charging um, arena, but, but it's quite small in the grand scheme of things. Mm. Um, you would think it would be the big um, uh, sort of retail petrol retail um, fuel companies that, that actually need to move on this um, and we haven't seen a lot no but we have spoken to Jill Noel who's a director of the electric the electric vehicle association or EVA England they're a body which represents electric vehicle drivers and they strongly advocate to making the switch to electric Outside of that, she has 25 years of experience working in energy and environmental technology, so she is the perfect person to ask 
as we did to begin our chat, what she considered to be the main benefits of getting an electric car. For me, I think uh, electric cars sell themselves. Once you've sat in one and either been driven in one or you have a test drive in one, so you actually drive an electric car for yourself, then for me, the, the whole drive experience is, is so superior to anything else, actually, that, that you know, people are generally pretty smitten by electric cars once they've, um, once they've had that um, experience. So for me, they are, they're fantastic cars um, and so fast, so responsive. You know, it's 100% torque, so off the mark, so, so fast. Of course, they are, if you buy a, a battery electric vehicle, zero tailpipe emissions, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, our stance at Electric Vehicle Association England on plug-in hybrid EVs is that actually they're a good stepping stone to full battery electric as long as you plug them in, as long as you use them as as they are uh, meant to be used on electric. Another really interesting aspect of electric vehicles is if we look at the total cost of ownership, because at the moment, the barrier to to switching to a full uh, electric car for many people, understandably, is cost. Because at the moment, many, if not most, electric cars are more expensive than their petrol or diesel equivalents. However, if we take a step back and if we look at the total cost of ownership of electric cars, actually, they can be really cheap to run and always cheaper to maintain because there are so fewer moving parts. 63% of households in the UK have access to off-street parking. Um, So it's a really simple charging solution to be able to charge at home. Um, And from personal experience, um, I use the Omi charger, and um, which is linked up with uh, Octopus Energy. Generally, I charge for about one pence per mile at home overnight, compared with my old diesel that I used to drive, a Saab 93, which is a, which was great, you know, a great workhorse. But I think I was paying about thirteen pence per mile equivalent in diesel. So immediately you start to see the cost savings. And when there's most renewables on the system, so, you know, on a really windy night, I get very excited because I know I'm going to be pinged a notification to say, plug in your car to charge because we will pay you to charge your car and use any other electrical appliance in your home. So that's that's exciting for me as well. So I think we're starting to see a really new relationship with energy, with the energy system overall. Um, which is uh, which is pretty interesting. 2020 was a really good year for electric cars. I did a little bit of research behind this, and uh, I think new registrations, electric cars or, or plug-in cars, um, were made up one in ten of every new car registration in the UK in 2020. So, I wondered how you saw the scaling up process of um, of electric cars, and whether the that includes the infrastructure, I guess, as well, the charging facilities. In your experience. Do you think there's there's room for a lot more electric cars on the roads right now, given the current scale of yeah scale of charging points? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it say a very positive yes to that. Uh, absolutely. So today we have uh, around five hundred thousand um, electric cars on UK roads. So that's full battery electric, plug-in hybrid cars, and light vans. By the end of 2030, the most recent uh, research on this suggests that we will see 
around 10.2 million battery electric vehicles on UK roads. If we look a little bit closer to home than that, so by 2025, it's likely that 50% of all new cars and light vans will be battery electric. So that's around 1 million um, per year. Um, we've seen the trend over lockdown, um, which is which will continue. The trajectory of, um, of new registrations of electric vehicles will only continue to accelerate. Um, so, yeah, and it, last week, actually, or recently, the announcements from the likes of JLR and Ford have been very clear signals in terms of their big statements of significant investment into switching uh, their lines to electric. Yeah, and of course, we've got that 2030 government target for banning of new petrol and diesel sales. On a similar line, like, do you, you think that's a realistic target? You think by then every every new car bought will be electric or, or plug-in? Yeah, absolutely. So the 2030 target is realistic. Um, there are new makes and models of both battery electric vehicle and plug-in hybrids coming out all the time. Um, really interesting to see very recently the Hyundai Ioniq, Ioniq 5 has been launched. Um, so that has a, a formal or WLTP range of about 290 miles. However, the really interesting thing there is that with that car, it has a 350 kilowatt charger, which essentially means that you can charge it from 10 to 80 percent in 18 minutes and you can add an extra 100 kilometers in just five minutes worth of charging. So again, it's all these really, really clear signals in both the technology and the, uh, you know, the automotive OEMs are absolutely headed on this road. Charging infrastructure is really interesting. Um, if you've got, if you do most of your driving locally, if you can charge at home, then it's dead simple, absolutely convenient. However, we do know that for those people who drive longer and more regularly than current charging infrastructure um, can be an issue. Also, for those without off-street parking, um, then more on-street charging solutions um, actually are emerging and will continue to emerge to serve that market. And then, of course, we have the likes of GridServe and their electric forecourts. We have the first one in Braintree in Essex, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I think they're planning on rolling out 100 of those over the next few years. So whilst the charging infrastructure isn't perfect right now, then again, government investment actually is, I think, about 1.3 billion into charging infrastructure over the next few years. So again, it is only going to get better. Government have recently launched a consultation on the um, consumer experience of public charging. It's probably worth saying that EVA England has launched its survey uh, on that, which will feed into that consultation. Um, so we're really keen to make sure that as many people as possible respond to that EVA England survey on their own experience of public charging. So again, we can really ensure that the consumer voice is heard. You mentioned grid grid charging or something what what is that so grid serve grid serve sorry yes grid serve what is that yeah definitely worth looking up grid serve um john because 
The idea is that it's an electric forecourt, essentially. So these will be more local, so off main routes, uh, charging hubs. So I think uh, the GridServe site in uh, Braintree in Essex has about 36 really high speed chargers and also a suite of Tesla superchargers as well. It has what you'd expect from a normal kind of uh, or traditional um, service station. So it has a, you know, a standalone building as well with cafe, shop. There's even entertainment for the children. It even has an electric car showroom as part of it. And it's um, powered by um, solar. So it has solar canopies as well. So it's essentially a very, very sustainable and extremely forward looking um, solution for electric car drivers. And just before we go, I just wondered what what companies are do you think are doing electric cars best right now? And I know we've had plans released, you know, Ford are going to go um, completely electric in Europe by 2030, I believe. General Motors have announced completely electric by 2035. Tesla, of course, springs to mind as a massive electric only company. But for you, yeah, what 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 brands, what companies have you been impressed with? Tesla, of course. I mean, that Tesla has to be up there. And of course, Tesla has had the advantage and the foresight actually just to basically start from scratch. So they don't have the legacy issues of the more traditional uh, automotive manufacturers. Um, and they've been trailblazers, clearly, um, in, uh, in kind of invigorating the uptake of electric vehicles. As well as Tesla, I'd say that actually Kia is a really, really interesting brand when it comes to electric vehicles. Um, my first electric car, actually, I found on the second-hand EV market, which was a Nissan Leaf, um, 2017 Nissan Leaf, which was great for my uh, driving um, purposes at the time as, as the sole family car. In summer 2020, I moved to a Kia e-Nero. Actually, you know, the, for the range that you get, so it's 282 miles WLTP, which is the formal driving range, real world range is about 260 miles for me and how I drive. Um, and it's it's so well made. It's absolutely robust. It's like a TARDIS inside. Um, I only have two children, but I feel that I could fit many more in there. Um, and it just drives like a dream. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, Tesla, Kia, Hyundai, as well clearly doing really really interesting things in electric vehicles and there are so many others i'm really interested actually i haven't um had the opportunity to drive the uh, ford mackie yet but when that comes over here i'm yeah i'll be top of the list i hope to uh, to give that a go Okay, so we've heard why it makes sense to own an electric car. Um, what we haven't really talked about is, does it make sense for this industry to be moving in this direction and, and, and how it's going to impact some of the listed players? Are there any car companies that you particularly like, Megan? Because I, I struggle with this industry. Yes, there is one that I like a lot. Volkswagen. Volkswagen is a great company and it owns so many amazing car brands like Audi and obviously like all the Volkswagen range and like my Seat. You know, I even think they own Lamborghini. Yeah, they have the full the full range from your VW Polo or your Seat Ibiza all the way up to your very, very 
flash Lamborghini. They have they have the whole lot, and now they also have a very quickly growing electric vehicle range. They launched the ID three in Europe last year, and it has been incredibly popular. Um, it's actually the top selling electric vehicle in Europe. It, well, it became the top selling electric vehicle in Europe in the final few months of 2020. And it was actually the top selling car overall in Norway, Ireland and the Netherlands. And it's nice. It's a cool little car. It's £10,000 cheaper than the equivalent Tesla. Um, and so it's it's targeting that market, which Renault has kind of dominated for a little while with its um, with its electric cars. But it's nicer. It's a Volkswagen. So it's, it's a slightly nicer car than the Renault equivalent. And they have got an ID4 for the American market as well, which is a, a bigger, brasher, state-sized version of the electric series. So they are really powering into this EV space. They are also um, they also have very ambitious EV infrastructure investment plans, and they're planning on la- launching 36,000 electric vehicle charging points throughout Europe by 2025. So they don't want just want to take hold of the electric vehicle market they want the whole of the wider infrastructure that goes around it as well which seems very sensible and yeah they they're they're a nice company and you say that i mean they were at the center of possibly one of the biggest scandals when i say nice industrial that's ever happened nice being used in terms of the business side of things they operate on decent margins for a car company they make decent profit from mm. their big range of cars. Yeah, you're right. The emission scandal was not... Um, not their finest hour. Not their finest hour. <laughs> um, it's absolutely disgraceful. Really. Yeah, no, it was. Um, but it's also arguably what's potentially held the share price back for a very long time. And while, yeah, that kind of thing should be remembered because it was a, a bad situation and bad management, it is it shouldn't necessarily be stopping the share price from striding forward now when they have new management and a new strategy and it seems like a good strategy. So Volkswagen is my pick of the sector. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, I think we're going to talk about Tesla in a minute because we've had a question about it from uh, from one of our listeners. But, you know, this is this is the this is the thing that I struggle with in the whole EV space. Um, in fact, in the broader context of the car industry, I think at one point last year, Tesla's market cap, in fact, it probably still is, was bigger than like the, the top four uh, largest uh, car manufacturers combined, despite delivering just a fraction of the cars of someone like Toyota uh, or VW, which sell more than 10 million each a year. I can't remember how many, how many Tesla sell, but it's nowhere near that. Um, so last year, uh, there were 0.5 million new Teslas which compares to 10.5 million new Toyotas and 10.4 million new Volkswagens on the road um, last year. So, But this is the perennial debate is, you know, has Tesla's lead been so much that it has this market to itself and we'll all be driving around in Teslas? And if we're not driving around in Teslas, we'll be driving around in cars that have Tesla technology in them. Um, Or... Should we be going for a VW or a Toyota that are just massive and for whatever reason have not shifted to EVs quickly enough, but now the the incentive is there for them to do so? So my opinion is definitely the latter. And we're going to talk about the Tesla valuation more specifically later because that's what the question's about. But in terms of whether or not it has captured hold of this market and is now controlling it and will forever, 
I don't think that's the case at all. I don't either. They are producing a fraction of the amount of cars. There are now starting to be serious questions around the company's green um, credentials as well. They've just made a massive investment in Bitcoin, which was not a sensible thing for a green pioneer to do because Bitcoin is extremely energy intensive. There are also questions about whether or not the batteries that are used in Teslas are as green as they could be. This isn't particularly new technology now. Tesla's Tesla as a concept has been growing for a long time. Volkswagen has been building its battery technology much more recently. It's newer technology than the technology that's in Tesla's. And yeah, there are questions about whether or not if you actually want to be green with your car, is a Tesla the right thing to be? Right thing to choose. I mean, Ch- China's a big market for Tesla as well, yeah. and, and, and I India. mean, China is not and India, but China is not not short of a few electric car companies of its own. No. In fact, uh, you sent me something very amusing from the Robin Hood platform uh, the other day. Was it Robin Hood? Yeah. What do they What do they call Tesla? Uh, Neo, isn't it? Neo. Neo is Chinese Tesla. Chinese Tesla. But yeah, there are loads of them that are um, that. There are loads of uh, electric vehicle companies in China, but also China and India are not particularly well known for their green credentials. So just because you're building electric vehicles, if you're in China or India, it doesn't mean you're necessarily that green. And it was a big deal when Tesla opened its manufacturing plant in China. They made a really, really big song and dance about it. This is going to be really significant. It means we're going to be able to um, produce our cars in China and it's going to be cheaper for us because we're producing the cars in the country that uh, that they're being sold in. But it's certainly not the only car company to do that. Obviously, all of the Chinese companies already do that. And Volkswagen already does that. It has two dedicated electric vehicle production facilities, one in Germany and one in China, which which means it's also it's already got a foot in the ground in this major growth industry for Tesla. Um, I, I, I think Tesla cars are amazing. I think they look fantastic. I really like Elon Musk. I do not get the hype behind the company at all. No, I would tend to agree with that. Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of catalysts for this market to, to grow very quickly in the years ahead. But but I think it's a market that the, the incumbents will start to come back very strongly. I don't necessarily know if all of them will. No, not um, definitely not all of them. But, but I do think that the ones that are starting to look into it now are really really pushing with their with their ev plans and and i think that's quite exciting we've got ford here uh which is said it's going all electric in europe by by 2030 um i was quite surprised that they haven't actually yet bought out a fully electric car in the uk really surprised mm. i was looking at it, the electric mustang <laughs> <laughs> what's the point yeah a mustang's supposed to roar <laughs> i mean why would you want an electric mustang whatever um <clears throat> So, so yeah, it's it's uh, it, it is quite exciting. It feels like I was reading something the other day about the U- the UK, the British bicycle boom of the nineteenth century, right. um, where bicycles were a new thing, and, and everyone's oh how exciting the bicycle, and lots of companies were, were formed, and lots of people started making bikes, and obviously most of them disappeared. And I do sense that that we're starting to see a bit of that in the electric car market. That there are a lot of upstarts, bit players. You'll, you'll, you'll have some, yeah, as you say, some large companies that don't quite get it right. Mm. You know, it, it, it feels like a market in its in its foothills, as mm. it were. We wrote a big feature about it. In fact, uh, very recently, race to riches, um, trying to get to grips with uh, with this this market, um, which is uh, very much in its early stages. 
should we, uh, should we come back to this question? Yes. It's a good one. Okay. So Ruth from Bury St Edmunds. Ah, in Suffolk. Lovely place. Uh, considering the never-ending rise of Tesla stock, is priced earnings still relevant nowadays? And what do you make of Tesla's valuation in general, particularly after their Bitcoin investment? Well, I think, I think the Bitcoin investment you've, you've started us off on. What do you make of that? Agree, the green aspect aside. Um, the thing that I like about it is that it's the first time, really, Elon Musk has given Bitcoin inherent value. And he is potentially the first person to really do that on a grand scale by saying, you can now buy a Tesla with your Bitcoin. So you have, I don't know, as of this morning, one Bitcoin, you've got yourself a Tesla. And that's quite an interesting way of looking at Bitcoin. Because before, it didn't really mean a lot, your 48 thousand dollars was worth what was one bitcoin i mean you know you can't really exchange that you can back into dollars well yeah but then which only defeats the point of bitcoin yeah (laughs) um but having yeah but having your being able to use your bitcoins buy yourself tesla i think that's quite an interesting thing and i think that opens up tesla potentially to a new audience of people who wouldn't have necessarily been able to afford their Teslas before they invested in Bitcoin this time last year. Well, who've become, become rich There are a luck. lot of people <laughs> who have become rich by investing in Bitcoin last year. Um, and, and yeah, and now, now if they have that opportunity to buy themselves a Tesla rather than converting it back to dollars and, as you say, defeating the object of Bitcoin um, or potentially reinvesting it into another, the latest cryptocurrency, or potentially investing it in something else and getting burned by the inevitable collapse when the stock market does decide that it's behaving too weirdly to continue. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, using Bitcoins by Tesla is interesting. Um, I do not think that the company should have invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin because I do think it undermines their green credentials. I don't really know. I don't really fully understand why companies feel the need to put Bitcoin on their balance sheets, which is, I assume, where these investments then sit once they buy it. Kind of like another account. Treasury management. I'm I'm not convinced about that as a as a thing that companies should be doing right now. I mean, I I mean, companies should Obviously, you have treasury management. You, know, you need to be able to pay your bills. You need to manage your cash. You need to manage your foreign exchange. You know, it's very important. Cash is the lifeblood of businesses. Um, I'm not sure Bitcoin necessarily forms part of, of good treasury management strategies because it's so volatile. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I read a stat that, that Elon Musk or Tesla had made more on its investment in Bitcoin in the last however long it was it's been since he invested in it uh, than it's ever made selling cars. That's crazy. Which which is mad. Yeah. So, so 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 what is Bitcoin? Uh, what is Tesla? A Bitcoin investment company or a car company? I mean, it's it's mixing things up in a way that I don't that I think is quite dangerous, particularly in the minds of the investors who are who who we know are driving the price of this higher. Yeah. Um, less sophisticated investors. Yeah. So so on that point, on the question, is price to earnings still relevant nowadays? Um, looking at the markets today, the answer is. Almost certainly no, because the way the markets are behaving, the fact that people continue to plan to Tesla, even though, I mean, you can barely even, it's price to earnings valuation is 
barely relevant. It's made a year's worth, or it's made its first year of profits of earnings, but it's hardly anything compared to compared to what the share price has done. Even on a price to sales ratio, it's it's fourteen times price to sales, which is just absurd. We, we also know that Tesla's made a lot of money selling uh, the green credits that mm. it receives for for making clean cars. Um, so, so, you know, it's one of a few companies that could do that right now, but that's going to disappear at some point there. Yeah. That source of profit. Um, I, I mean, I agree. I think yeah, PE is a blunt tool and it always has been, and it definitely shouldn't be the only, uh, metric that, that we look at when, when no. we're working out whether it's No, because if you had looked not. at Tesla's PE last year and decided that it wasn't worth investing in based on its valuation, you'd have been wrong. And the same is true of many of the tech companies, which have been trading on extremely high price to earnings valuations. Amazon is, was always held up before this Tesla surge. It was always the prime example of a company on a stupid PE metric, when actually it shouldn't be being valued on a traditional PE metric because because it's been growing so fast, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily you don't need to pin your investment case on that valuation. Well, it didn't. It didn't take a lot of money out of the business and profit. It just plowed it all back in anyway. So you didn't see the profit that it was that it was potentially making yeah. had it not decided to reinvest it all in growth. The other argument about about the non value of PE is the fact that it was relatively useful at a time when companies were having to to grow. Companies were having to invest a lot in physical goods. So if you wanted to expand your retail empire, you had to invest in new shops, you had to invest in new stock. Or if you wanted to <laughs> expand your rail network, you had to invest in the in the equipment and in the raw materials to do that. Nowadays, for companies, especially in the technology industry, and even more specifically software, for them to expand, the investment that they need to that they need to make is hardly anything. For Adobe to expand its customer base it really needs, it doesn't need to spend even that much on marketing, but it's quite a small marketing campaign. Also, or just roll out a new product. Okay, it's a bit of R&D investment, which, as Algie Hall writes about this week, um, should or should not be capitalised. Um, and Adobe's got 100, 1,000, a million new customers. It hasn't cost them very much. So to generate growth in the software industry... You're not having to invest as much as you used to, which is why price to earnings isn't necessarily the correct tool anymore, because it doesn't take into account that growth or the cost of that growth. Um, but aside from the fact that fundamentally price to earnings isn't as good a tool as it used to be, the markets are just ignoring it completely. And if you want to be making money from the markets right now, <laughs> following the trends is what everyone seems to be doing we don't think that's the best thing to do we were wrong but <laughs> <laughs> we are wrong at the moment yeah investing's a long-term game don't I, I would always discourage people from looking at what's happened in a year and suggesting this is this is going to continue forever yeah investing's hard mm. it's really hard i mean on the basis of the numbers um that, that we see from the car industry you know Toyota to- to- to on 10 times earnings yeah bargain but is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's actually, you know, it's, it's part of the whole value growth investing debate, which we've been talking about for some time, and which Algie Hall is going into huge detail about in, uh, in the magazine this week. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be buying Tesla shares at this price. Me neither. I'd be selling Tesla shares at this price, to be honest. That's what my view of Tesla is right now. I think, yeah, as I say, I think Tesla's a great company, but I just don't think that this price can be sustained 
even, I mean, obviously when you compare it to the rest of the car industry, it looks crazy, but even taken on its own, uh, I think a good, a really, really good mantra is, is this company making the best use of my capital? And for a company that's just spent $1.5 billion on Bitcoin, no, I do not think they are making the best use of my capital. So Tesla as an investment, not for me right now. That's a fair argument. That's a fair argument. VW then, where your money's yeah. going. Excellent. Cool. Um, okay, so that's all we have uh, time for this week, uh, I'm afraid. But do um, keep sending any questions you have to icpods at ft.com if you want to be read out, like Ruth from Very St. Edmunds. Um, join us again next week where we'll be looking at streaming platforms, um, which is a good excuse to binge some box sets as prep. What are you going to binge on in prep, Megan? <laughs> Oh, I've just binged everything so far. There's nothing else to binge. WandaVision is only coming out one at a time now, so I don't know. And that's painful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're binged out. Thanks, Megan. And thank you all for listening. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.